Hi, I'm Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos, Infinity Gauntlet, Drax, Gamora, and a few others. And uh, you're here at Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, this one is quite unique in a way because this guy is responsible for a lot of the Marvel Galaxy timelines. Is that the, a good way to say it? Yeah, a lot of, well, I mean, he's responsible for a lot of, uh, inadvertently responsible for a lot of the MCU. Yeah, it's it's actually really cool. He's a really nice man. Who are we talking to? today johnny well it's, it's one of the gyms so there's a couple of gyms in marvel history that are pretty important mr shooter he's one of them but that's not who we're talking to no we're talking to jim starlin <laughs> yeah buddy yeah jim starlin man he creator of thanos uh and you'll hear his take on thanos and and what he thinks how the mcu is handling him and and his favorite storyline with thanos it's it's really interesting it is. He was a, he was a cool cat to talk to, and uh, I you know we uh, we learned a lot about the history of of not only Thanos but his history of of comics and uh, you know what he what he enjoyed about the, you know working in the Marvel universe and, and and outside of that as well as well as his new comic that's out now Dreadstar. Uh, well, Dreadstar. Well, not new, but the new Kickstarter book in yeah the new book in the Dreadstarter series. Yeah, there you go. yeah. He put it out for like I think he was they're trying to get like twenty eight thousand for printing and everything and. He blew that out of the water in like 14 hours. Oh man, they 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 made so much money. I'm super jealous what they made. They made way more than I made in my Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm yeah. not Jim Starlin, so you know. Or, well, right. But he's a really cool cat. I think you guys are gonna have a lot of fun listening to him. And instead of us spouting how cool Jim is, why don't we just sit back and listen to him in his own words? Back today is super, super, super special. Uh, he kind of wrote the storyline of my childhood, reading all the comic books as I was growing up, and I believe for for John as well. He's got a brand new Kickstarter out for for Dreadstar. Jim Starlin, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure being here, and I apologize for warping your young lives like that. <laughs> well, you know, you got to have a tinge of chaos to have to, to see what's going on in the world, so. You kind of yeah, I've been I've been accused of being chaotic here on more than one occasion. <laughs> so you got a brand new Kickstarter out. It's doing really, really well. Uh, you only had a twenty eight thousand dollar goal, 
and you blew that out of the water. Yeah, we got that in 14 hours. Uh, I guess the coronavirus uh, slowed things up a bit uh, when we did the omnibus. We did it in 12 hours. <laughs> That's incredible. It's still good. It's still good. Not, not complaining. <laughs> How can you, right? You got everything going on there. You, and this is back kind of almost, I don't want to say to your roots, but 30 years of Dreadstar is a long time to be writing a character. Well, 30 years in between uh, the last two stories. That's a long time. Well, we had some others come out in between. Peter David did a couple of runs. Me, uh, yeah, I, I sort of threw him into an issue of Breed at one point, but it's been a long time since I visited this character, and that made it kind of interesting to work on. Yeah. I decided, uh, what has he been doing the last 25 years? And uh, the beginning of the story is catching up on all the characters and where they have been and uh, where they are now. And Dreadstar's got an interesting little job he's been doing for the last few uh, decades how's it doing the kickstarter for you is it it's something different something unique since you've obviously been in the business a long time people who don't know you've been instrumental in marvel's creation of their whole galaxy and and the space and time continuum of what they have going on even today and now you're doing independence what's that like well, uh, makes me look like Nostradamus <laughs> with this uh, <laughs> uh, coronavirus going around. Uh, all the comic book shops have closed up, and uh, who knows what's going to happen with the two big publishers once this thing's over. So uh, working on a Kickstarter is uh, maybe uh, the wave of the future. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say at this point because we don't know what's going to come down. I am not Nostradamus. I just got lucky, uh, you know. My friend Ron Mars was involved with this and uh, talked me into doing the uh, omnibus with him. And uh, this seemed like the great place to do uh, the return. And it's all been working out quite well so far. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, before you actually got into comics, you were in the Navy. My father was in the Navy. He was a, a, a sub. He was a submariner for twenty years. I never got on a ship. You never got on a ship. What'd you do for the Navy? I was a photographer, uh, aerial work, mostly. Uh, oh, fun. Did some uh, aerial photography, uh, chasing Russian submarines around with the P-2 squadron in, in Sicily, and then later on uh, out in the Pacific and uh, did some more photography then, you know, just uh, taking pictures. Yeah. How did, how did you get into wanting to know I'm going to write and draw comic books? When, how did this start? You know, how did that love affair even begin? Well, my dad was a draftsman at Chrysler, and uh, oh, he worked cool. on uh, dashboards and seats and steering wheels. Uh, got him out of the service during World War II. He was one of those essential uh, jobs that had to be kept. He worked on tanks at that point. But he uh, figured his one big uh, side benefit that the company didn't have to know about was that he uh, every night he stacked his, he packed his briefcase full of tracing paper number two pencils and all the masking tape he could steal. <laughs> and he was going to use this in his woodworking hobby, but he soon found out that I was taking more of his stuff uh, than he was using <laughs> because I found I could trace off the characters in the comic books. Yeah. And uh, that uh, turned into a sort of an obsession. I had my wall covered with tracing paper in my, my joint bedroom with my brother. My my wall was all covered with tracing paper and his was bare. Uh <laughs> And uh, eventually stopped using the tracing paper, and the obsession became a hobby, which became uh, a passion, and then eventually a profession. And uh, that's more or less how I started off. That's pretty. That's pretty incredible. I I used to trace 
all the time. Transformer comic books was what I always traced. Way back in the day, though, back in 80, what, 83, 84? Yeah, me was comic books, and then later on it was Archie, and we'd uh, take the clothes off Betty and Veronica. <laughs> All That's... those drawings were hidden in the loft in the garage. <laughs> As any young man, I used to take my buddies. My buddy's dad had like every had a just a ton of Playboys, and we used to take those. <laughs> I had them in the woods yeah, in the back. <laughs> I had a couple of my Playboys up in the loft also. <laughs> so we had Jerry Conway on back in December. And he 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 was he was a great guy to talk to. He had you know, and he started really really young in the comic book industry, but he had some really interesting stories about who took him under his wing when he started. And I'm wondering, do you have any interesting you know who took you under their wing when you started off with DC and and Marvel? You know, I say Frank Giacoya to a certain extent, but you know, there was kind of limited. Uh, I sort of got there and they put me to work. Marvel didn't have an art director at the time. Oh, that's and, crazy. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it was. It was uh, Roy Thomas and Stan was there sometimes, and then John Traborton was the production manager. And uh, so they sort of used Frank at first, and then Frank wanted to go back to inking. And so I sort of became their de facto, their first real de facto art director up there, uh, designing up covers with Stan and, uh, you know, for other artists to draw. And, uh, you know, occasional corrections and uh, things like that. And, uh, I did that for a couple of months and finally got some jobs of my own because this constant drawing and doing things, uh, I got good enough finally. And uh, so I started getting some, you know, horror stories, love stories. And uh, eventually I got a beast cover to do. And uh, that led into Iron Man 55. That was my first full book. Oh, wow. And then I did 56 with Steve Gerber and Stan fired both of us. He hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> was it the Iron Man nose? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that came later. This was uh, this was a funny Iron Man story, and he was outraged that we did a funny Iron Man story, and uh, we both got canned. Fortunately, wow. uh, Roy needed somebody to draw Captain Marvel, and uh, Steve Steve worked out okay too. That's funny. That's fu so. How long were you fired for? The afternoon. Oh, this the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I walked off and I went, well, guess we're going to get drunk. And halfway through the drunk, Roy called up and said, hey, I got this book. Uh, it's probably not going to last, but we need somebody to pencil it. <laughs> After the first issue, we weren't sure if we were going to get it out before the book got canceled. Oh, that's so funny. What was your initial inspiration for uh, Dreadstar? Well, when I met Jack Kirby, he told me that the Hulk was stupidity that the harder you beat on it, the stronger it becomes. Yeah. And I always thought after that, that if I'm going to create a character, it's got to be able to be synopsized in a sentence, you know, just sort of summarize it up who he is. With Thanos, he was appetite that never can be satisfied. And with Dreadstar, he was an anarchist who has no second act. Very good at breaking uh, governments that uh, he feels are unjust, but uh, not very good at... Uh, operating within a uh, renewed uh, governmental structure his one little <laughs> stint as a cop proved that he was a miserable failure at that particular endeavor he's much better at throwing bombs <laughs> that's interesting and there's this magic sword involved but you know that's 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 peripheral stuff so kirby was a was a big part of your uh, inspiration for it. that's kind of interesting though well, Jack was my favorite artist when I was back in high school. I just thought the power of his drawings were incredible, followed closely by Steve Ditko for yeah. other reasons, mostly his storytelling and uh, his calligraphic line. 
you know, there were a couple other ones. Uh, later on, John Buscema, Carmine Infantino, Joe Kuber, Gil Kane. All the greats. You know, these were all, all these guys who uh, I learned how to draw comics and how to write comics from looking at their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the greats there. What? So you really loved Kirby growing up, and then you go to work at Marvel, and you're working with Kirby. What was was it? Was it surreal? Actually, I never worked with Kirby. Oh, really? Uh, he he was overdoing work at DC at the time when I first got there, and uh, he came back later. But he was out in California, and I was in New York at the time. Yeah. And so uh, he was doing the Devil Dinosaur and stuff like that, and I'd just come into the office and occasionally see his work, but. Uh, we only met later on. Um, Al Milgram hauled me off to his place to for a visit one afternoon, and uh, that was one of the thrills of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, such a laid back and nice man uh, doing this incredible work. Uh, and as we were sitting there by his drawing board, he looked at this huge picture window that overlooked this valley, and he said, "He said, you know, I'm working here sometimes, and the UFOs go by, and they really distract me. And then the jets come up after them, and the UFOs take off, and I'm going." Yeah, this is Kirby. This is definitely <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> Did you guys talk about Thanos and Darkseid? Because there's always been the the how closely resemble that that they could be. My my take on Thanos, Darkseid is they remind me of the Baron from Dune. So it's 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 all relative. No, we didn't talk about that, but um, actually. Uh, Thanos started off more looking like Metron at the beginning than uh, Darkseid. Yeah. Uh, uh, my original drawing had him in a chair and, uh, you know, looking in, in his much blacker outfit that looked much more like Metron's. Uh, when we did uh, Iron Man 55, uh, Roy Thomas, the editor, said, beef him up a little bit, you know. Yeah. So he doesn't look so much like Metron. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so... And as the years have gone by, both Thanos and uh, Darkseid have inflated markedly. Uh, you look back at those early Kirby things, he's he's a stocky fellow, but he's not all that much bigger than your average human. And right. uh, uh, Thanos sort of started off the same way, and uh, they both sort of independently uh, went off and uh, just grew into these massive menaces. Uh, I did probably throw things off at one point uh, in doing some interview, jokingly said he was Darkseid, but... I uh, never really meant it. <laughs> See what you started? <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, are you surprised how big the characters you created with the, you know, Thanos and all Especially the other? Especially Thanos. Yeah. Because Thanos was so esoteric and weird that, you know, I figured no one was ever going to put money up to do this, something this strange. Uh you know, Drax and Gamora more mainstream in their own sort of offbeat way, but uh, you know, them going into the Guardians, you know, was a good fit. And uh, but Thanos was a surprise, and uh, them going off to do the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, because just never saw the movies when we started being able to do this sort of thing. Uh, it, it's a gigantic could... space opera. You get you you did a, a wonderful job. That Thanos quest, oh. I, I read that book. I don't know. I can't even tell you how many times I read that thing. That's my favorite Thanos story. Uh, definitely mine. <laughs> when he's but looking into the pool, those. when he's looking into yeah. the uh, the pool, the, the abyss, and he has the whole conversation with himself, that is brilliant. I have to go back and read that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when we were doing these things, the movies couldn't uh, hold a candle to what we could do in the comic books. We could do much more complicated things. They're 
spaceships would wobble on the strings and they would go across the screen. Yeah. And so uh, now uh, any 30-second uh, shot, 10-second uh, shot in a movie is something far beyond what we could do with the comic books. It's kind of crazy, right? Computers. It's, it's kind of yeah. flipped over. What do you think of their changing of him the le- for his love of death to more of a, like an ecological terrorist? Well, the way I understand it, Kevin Feige didn't feel comfortable yet uh, putting in the abstract characters like Eternity or Mistress Death into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they weren't sure that how the uh, movie-going public would take them. Uh, they've obviously gotten past that because uh, there's been a casting call for Eternity for the next Doctor Strange movie. So that that cat is out of the bag. And I didn't do this. This is not me spoiling anything. It's out there in public record. So I guess we're going to be seeing them. So um, if we see Thanos again, there's a good chance we may uh, eventually see uh, Mistress Death, which I'd like to see happen. Yeah, uh, that would be cool. I had no trouble with where they went with uh, the thing because of those dictates. Um, I understood that they had to change stuff. I've worked in movie scripts before with other folks and uh, seeing that if you go in there thinking that you're going to get a carbon copy of your written uh, story, you're a fool. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Right, right. So uh, I went in there and uh, when we were on set uh, for uh, Endgame, the writers and uh, Joe Russo's were really open, talked to me about everything. I, I knew... I knew practically everything about the things uh, before the movies ever came out and had to keep my mouth shut for a year and a half. Uh, but, uh, was that hard? You know, I understood. <laughs> uh, no, but it, it, it only after the movie came out that somebody pointed out to me that his, his uh, new motivation in the movie was something out of the Silver Surfer that I had written uh, back in issue, I think, 33 or something like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was him conning the Silver Surfer and uh, was that Silver, and telling him this. Was that Silver Surfer the nineteen eighty seven volume two series or the first series? Uh, the one I wrote, whatever that is. Okay, uh, probably the second series. I think it's I the eighty seven series. Yeah, yeah, it was somewhere around there. It was, it was the lead into the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, yep, yep, yep. That's that series. So it would have been around that time. Uh, but they uh, they took uh, the bullshit line that. Uh, Thanos was feeding to the surfer and used that as his motivating force. You know, uh, know, it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. It's very cool. So you did a lot of work for DC as well. You're not just a Marvel guy, but you're kind of run the gambit. How is it like working on like Adam Strange and Batman and Gilgamesh and some of those classic DC titles? Depended on the editor. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that always? (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a big thing. Um, you know, uh, some of the stuff at the beginning, I was working with Bob Shrek and later on Tom Palmer uh-huh. uh, Jr. And uh, they were really great to work with. Uh, we, I think the, the uh, Mystery in Space run and uh, the Thanagar ran the Holy War were kind of fun romps. Uh, after that, it sort of went to pieces. Uh, by the time we got to Bizarre Adventures, they were just saying, you got to stick everybody into it. And it, it just became a mess. Yeah. We got too much. Yeah, and uh, plus we had a different artist every other issue, so it was. Does that drive you nuts? nuts? If you're if you're if you're writing an arc and they're changing the artist like that, does it does it make it too difficult? Uh, yeah, because uh, it doesn't look the same. Yeah, you know, uh, they went with this one artist who was doing a terrific job, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment, 
And uh, suddenly we had to see this Brazilian artist who didn't speak English and uh, uh, didn't understand half of what I was asking them to put down. And uh, they were constantly having to get things redrawn. And it was just a hassle. Yeah. Some stories are really nightmares and some go really smoothly. You know. What, when, you, when you look back over your, your career, besides Dreadstar right now, because I'm sure that's probably your favorite project right now because it's all you, right? You're doing basically everything. Uh, you have a team, and you got your Kickstarter, which has gone really, really well. But when you look back before that, is there a favorite storyline that you really loved? I know we said uh, Thanos, the Thanos quest, but or is is that yeah, the, the answer? Captain Marvel is probably my favorite. Oh, nice. Uh, that had its its uh, drawbacks. I went and dislocated a finger in the middle of that job, and uh, when I I was already committed to uh, inking it, so every morning I'd have to. Uh, tape this uh, felt tip pen into my onto my hand and draw for a few hours and then take it off for lunch and then tape myself back up for afternoon work session. <laughs> oh man. So there are, there's always a good story there. Yeah. Uh, prob- probably the worst was the death of the new gods. That was just a nightmare from beginning to end. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. It was just terrible. <laughs> what made it so bad? Okay. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> Grant Morris made it bad. <laughs> oh really? Oh, yeah, he kept uh, requesting, he was going to do the follow-up series where they revived him and kept yeah. requesting we add things to it. And some of which I wasn't really crazy about, like merging the Apocalypse and uh, New Genesis, uh, because uh, John Byrne had already done that. Right. But he wanted it, and so I said, okay, I'll accommodate. And uh, then when he came out with his... Uh, his version that had nothing to do with anything we had done. He said, Oh, I had never intended to do that. And well, why'd you keep requesting these things? <laughs> right. Screwing up my story. Right. Right. What, what'd you take away from that? Like I'm never, you're not going to compromise on that kind of stuff unless it's completely outlined or is it moving forward? I you're think, like, oh. I think I shortly after that sort of stopped working for DC. It was a chaotic period up here yeah. at that point. And, uh, I said, I'm getting too old for this shit. So I just, you know, <laughs> work, worked off and did something else. I don't remember what it was at this point, but I just sort of, I think I finished off Bizarre Adventures and said, let's let's get do something else. Yeah. Hey, back on the Bravara um, series, Peter David took on the uh, the unenviable task of continuing the story. Is there Was there something about David that like entrusted you to, to allow him to do that? Well, he took over the series when it was at uh, first also. Uh, I like Peter's work. I like Peter most of the time. Uh, <laughs> we and, had him on. He was great. Yeah. If you if you met Peter, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I just trusted him to do it. I was busy with Breed. Uh, they wanted Red Star up at first. And uh, so I suggested Peter and he connected up with Ernie Colin. And uh, they ended up that very unique six-issue six run. Yeah. Uh, Seeing that we've got the uh, omnibus and has been doing so well, I think we have some plans, nothing definite set or that at this point to reprint uh, Peter's run on the series too. And make oh, that'd a nice be awesome. Volume. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, did you have to wrestle the copyrights away from Marvel to be able to do this stuff with Dreadstar? No, no, it was always mine. Oh, uh, that's good. This was, this was creator owned right from the start. Uh, oh, because it was on the Epic's imprint. It was on the Epic imprint. Uh, our uh, work for hire work for agreement was such that I kept copyright. In fact, it started off at Epic Illustrated and then went over to Eclipse Publishing for a while. Yeah. For one graphic novel and then back at the Marvel 
it was going to be a, a, a one story inside. I think it, maybe this is Bizarre Adventures. Uh, Denny O'Neill had a black and white book, and it was going to be in there. And then Archie found out about it, and he absconded with it back to Epic Illustrated. Yeah. And then talked to me about doing a, a regular series because uh, he wanted to start a new line. So, uh, you know, it was all over the place, and it was always mine. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think working on the Omnibus kind of put that desire back into you to, to do a new Dread Star story? On a lot of different levels. Uh, about three years ago, I injured my hand. Uh-oh. Uh, compressed air accident. I blew a big crater between my thumb and forefinger on my drawing hand. Ow. How the hell did yeah. you do that? Uh, compressed air explosion. Oh, my God. And uh, so, basically, uh, I didn't draw for three years. Uh, oh, that must have been I, hell for you. That would be strange. I could have dreams at night of drawing to wake up in the morning and go, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but I mean, all this time I was squeezing this ball that we had, uh, on the coffee table whenever I watched the news or a movie and, uh, you know, stretching and, uh, getting that muscle uh, built back up. Yeah. At first uh, I could do about 15 minutes and then I cramp up and have to run it underneath cold water, but it slowly got long, growing longer. And when we got to the omnibus, um, I had a remastered color on it. And the stylus was a much easier thing to handle than a pencil because yeah. you don't have to put the pressure down. And it took me about six months to go through and get the color to remastered in such a way. I mean, we were working mostly, well, it was a mix of uh, uh, photos, you know, I mean, the actual uh, negatives from the Epic Illustrated run. And then going through the actual books and scanning them and then retouching and making it look so... It didn't look like it was reprinted out of the comic book. I'd, right. Uh, select all the blacks and then blur everything else. It's a lot of work. It was. Like I said, about six months of this, it was 1,500 pages. And, oh, my uh, God. You have so 1,500 each pages? Page I'd, yeah, uh, each page I'd spend at least an hour on. Yeah. And so, you know, and I, get, I think that built up the hand again. So when I was at a convention and somebody asked me to do a, try and do a con, uh, drawing for this charity... I managed to pull it off in a half hour up in my hotel room that night. And I went, gee, this is pretty cool. And um, then I met Jamie Jameson, who is my anchor on the Dreadstar Return book. And uh, she had been working with Keith Giffen and uh, inking his uh, drawings at the convention. And I thought, well, let me try doing a couple of uh, these things. And I had inked the covers for the Omnibus books. And it was a real pain. It took me about two weeks on each one of those books. Uh, each one of those covers. Yeah. So I said, I do not want to ink. Uh, and I talked to Jamie about uh, inking some of my sketches. And she did that. And I really liked what she had done. And uh, then Dandy Dio said, if you're drawing, how would you would you do a uh, alternative cover for this metalman uh, thing I'm doing? And so I said, well, okay, let me see uh, what I can do. Uh, can Jamie ink it? And it came out really nice. And so I was already started on Dreadstar secretly. I was uh, about 20 pages into it. And I oh, said, that's awesome. Hey, Jamie, how would you like to become a full-time anchor? <laughs> <laughs> and she jumped at the chance, and uh, she's been uh, working. She was working on it up until six weeks ago when she got COVID-19. Oh. Seriously, serious bout of it. Uh, oh. She's recovering now. Oh, good. That's some scary stuff. There's a little bit of a lag, and there's going to be a little bit of a lag. Yeah, uh, we thought we lost her a couple times. Uh, she 
everything that you could get wrong with this virus she got. Uh, they say it's a, a miracle that she's alive. And I'm glad she to did hear it all that. by herself. She, she lives by herself out there in uh, California. And uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, a couple of folks, Joel Adams and uh, Spencer Beck and I, were on the phone with her every day trying to get her through there. And we went through the terrible hacking to the the pains to the hallucinations. Uh, wow. Kidney problems. But she uh, hung in there and she's uh, on the mend now. Uh, she, she actually thinks she may try doing a little inking today she was telling me wow well i'm so happy to hear that she's doing better and, and got through the worst of that because that's scary yeah you know uh it was a real eye-opening experience going through it with her uh you know she was the one that suffered but i got the education out of it yeah you know i i've watched people around me i leave the house i have a painter's respirator that i purchased before every mm-hmm. just right before everything really started going down and we got gloves and I don't leave the house to go to the store without wearing that respirator when I, you know, walk into the store with my gloves, that, and I don't get the people that walk around with no mask on. And I have friends obviously that, that I grew up with and I know, and they're on my Facebook and they're talking about how they just can't wear a mask and they won't go into a store if they require a mask. And I'm like, that's your line in the sand, not wearing a mask. Where, where are you located? <laughs> we're in Seattle. Okay. You started it off. I know, right? Washington. We're the, we're the cause of everything. It feels like sometimes. <laughs> I, I say, I you know, I'm in New York, uh, upstate New York, oh, and God, everybody's got a mask on. Yeah, that's even so, worse there. You guys yeah. took the, I mean, it, it hit New York, and it just went like wildfire. But you guys, as a governor, governor Cuomo, he's, I think he's done a good job. Oh, he's been a pip. Yeah. He, you know, uh, we ought to run him for president. Mm-hmm. Now, we ought to t- throw this bum out that we got now and put <laughs> him in right now. You won't hear anybody on this podcast disagree with that. <laughs> no, no, this, this, is, this has been a nightmare on so many different levels. <laughs> I just don't understand how you can listen to him open his mouth and not realize all the lies that are coming through. I would have more respect if he would just admit when he's messed up. Like firing the, the, the group of people that get us prepared for a pandemic and says, hey, you know, I, I thought I was cutting costs. I made a mistake. We're going to try to correct this right away. But he never admits to anything wrong, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not in him. No, no. It's just not in him. Which is just, uh, it's it's really bad. Well, there's November coming. Right. November's coming. until November, until January, I guess. I, I worry, <laughs> though, that this first round of COVID is going to go away come the summer or midsummer. People are going to be like, oh, it's all good. And everybody's going to go out. And then we're going to hit another round of it in the fall. There's a good chance. Yeah, we'll watch. We'll, we'll watch what's going on in Georgia right now. Yeah, they're they're like taking letting people go back to work. I was like, this is crazy. I have a friend. She she uh, texted me today. She's like, oh, I'm back at work. I love it. I'm like, really? They already opened it up. That's kind of crazy. And they haven't even hit their peak yet. Yeah, yeah. University of Washington did a scale. They you know they're that's a great school, and they actually ran a model. To, to try to figure out what our tipping point is. And it looks like we've already hit that bell curve for us. And they're saying May 18th could be the the soonest date that we might be able to go back. Everything's in, nothing's accurate, right? Everything's just in assumptions and very round numbers. Like we could do this. We might be able to do that. <laughs> but they said the well, earliest we were, could be May 18th. We were doing the testing, that would make a big difference. Yeah. Well, you know, I read an article today where... There's 90 different vaccines being tested right now. So, 
you know, you got to kind of weigh the, the, when someone releases a statement saying, oh, we're working on a vaccine. Yeah. Well, you and 89 other people. So, and it's interesting. Well, the o- Oxford group is ahead on this. Yeah. They, 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 they were doing with the coronavirus uh, research before this all began. And uh, they're, 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 they're most hopeful at this point. Fingers oh, that's crossed. good. Oh yeah. Big yeah. fingers crossed. Big fingers crossed. Well, Jim, man, this has been really exciting. I very much appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much to tell you how much you I've read so many of your stories growing up. Uh, I was a Marvel kid. So, you know, my favorites were Spider-Man and X-Men. And, and then when, once you released Thanos quest, I, 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 I telling you, I read that so many times. I can't even recount how many and big part of it. And when they, when they did the Avengers movies, I was so excited that they were doing the Thanos storyline. And I thought they kept the spirit of what you did in there. They, oh, most definitely. You know, and it's I and it was, it was cool. Spirit, so is there anything that we need to let people know about besides get over to kickstarter.com, look up Jim Starlin, and you guys will find the Dreadstar Kickstarter going on right now and really back this project because it looks amazing. It's a ripping good yarn, I'd have to say. I'm uh, quite pleased with it. It's a love story. Uh, there's a death of a familiar character in it and... Uh, I think it's quite poignant by the time you hit that page 100 and uh, it's uh, the start of a whole new storyline. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate your time. You know what's funny about that interview, Johnny? What's that? We hear you laugh at the beginning and then you literally (laughs) said nothing the rest of the time. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, at least I at least I laughed, right? Yeah, I was editing it together, and I'm like, no, he had to say more than that. Nope, <laughs> nope, no, he didn't. <laughs> I think I said bye at the end. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I think you well, had a. I think you had something that was going on. Yeah, probably. Usually, if I don't say anything, something's going on in the the house here, and I mute and I listen yeah. in and run back and forth and do stuff. Yeah. you know. But it was really cool having him on. We really appreciate Jim taking the time and just you know being on for thirty minutes and kind of going over his career and everything that's going yeah. on. You don't get a chance to do that with him very often. You don't. You don't. And it was. He was. I mean, he was a really fun guy to talk to. He had lots lots of good stories. Very nice. Uh, I, I'd love to have him come back on and just shoot the shit and talk again. The one thing I want to do is. Actually, you know what? I don't even want to spoil it. I'm not even going to say what it is. Yeah, good. There you go. Don't. Because when we get Shooter on, there's a very specific question that Starlin yeah. told us to ask him. And I'm going to save it, save that nugget for when we get Jim Shooter on. Ah, there we go. Who? Yeah, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you did and you want to hear more out of the Marvel Universe or just, dare I say, comic book writing legends and artist legends, then head over to spoilerverse.com where you can get, I don't know, an interview with Jerry Conway. How's that for a legend? I mean, maybe pretty awesome. Eric Larson. How, how's that? That's maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe keep, keep, I mean, keep going. Yeah. There's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah. Maybe JMD Mateus, maybe Ben right? Temple Smith, you know, the list, maybe Walt and Wheezy Simonson who you'll hear tomorrow right oh man that's gonna that's and and that one's got video so that'd be on a youtube channel with video too yeah so you know there's a lot 
to offer. And there's a lot going on over at Spoilerverse.com. Not only is Spoiler Country hosted there, but a plethora of awesome, amazing podcasts like Gunslinger Narrative or Shooting a Sith or Bridging the Geekdom or Polygon Warriors or Misery Point Radio. I mean, it just goes on and on. I got to correct you because you always say it backwards. It's What's narrative that? gunslingers, not gunslinger narrative. <laughs> Did I say gunslinger narrative? Every time you do. Every wow. time. Wow. <laughs> I think in my head I thought I said narrative gunslingers. Nope. You definitely said gunslinger narrative. Man. Well, change the title. <laughs> right? Just change it to your right. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Just right. <laughs> Johnny, what else is going on at the Spoilerverse and within Spoiler Country? Oh man! In addition to all the amazing podcasts you just talked about, we got new ones coming on soon. We got Funny Book Forensics coming on. We got Nerd from the Crib. We've got some other new ones coming on. We've got articles and reviews by Jay Roach. We've got articles by Sarah Kay. We've got articles by Robert and Colton and, and myself. Tons of stuff coming out all day long. There's, you know, there's three to six articles coming out per day um, with podcasts and with everything else to talk about everything. And as of today, recording this today, uh, you know. I won't say what it is, but Robert's super excited and doing a ton of stuff on the website about what he's super excited about. So you definitely should go check that out right now. I think you could say what it is and, and, and just point people to where to find out more. Well, they just announced that they're doing the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. And Robert has a ton of... Because Robert was on the live stream. He recorded the live stream. And he's releasing a bunch of information about that and what's, what to look forward to on HBO Max next year when they actually drop the, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. And it's kind of crazy. Robert has been a huge proponent of the Snyder Cut movement, and uh, he's been on the bandwagon, I think, basically from the beginning. And if you've been following Shooting the Sith or Bridging the Geekdom, then you know that he has pushed and pushed and pushed for this to happen. And now it finally is. So he's super excited. We're excited for him. Yeah, I can't I can't honestly tell you if I'm more excited for the Snyder Cut to see it myself, or if I'm just more excited because Robert's getting what he Robert funny getting it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm more excited. I wanna watch it because I want to see it, but I'm more yeah, excited for Robert and I'm really excited to see Robert's reaction to it. Same. Like same. what if he hates it? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm oh my about god, that. what 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 did I ask for? Because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's whoa, you know. Be careful what you wish for, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or but it'll, what it'll probably like, be good. It's the best thing ever. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. All right, guys. I think that's a show. Yeah, that that's that's a show. It's more than All a right. show. Hey, don't forget. In oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And read more. <laughs>